Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, Osha here. This is Better Make It Quick, the quick Wednesday edition of Better Than Yesterday, which has been here since 2013, a podcast just here to make your day today. Better than yesterday, and um, that's what we do. It's what, what it does, what it says in the box. Thanks to everyone that came up and said hello on Monday. Politics in the pub with Allegra Spender. That was super cool. It was lovely to, to be there and, and speak with a sitting MP. Amazing to have that kind of access that wasn't like at $1,000 a plate. Like, pretty sick. It was great. She's awesome, and it was a really good night. And uh, cheers to the Bondi Bolo for having us. That was really, really fun. Wednesday shows are an opportunity for Brie, our producer here, to go back in time and find a episode that she reckons, you know what, this deserves another lap, another listen. So we're going to go to a conversation from 2020 with Dr. Russ Harris, who is an internationally acclaimed acceptance and commitment therapy trainer. He is the author of the best-selling act-based self-help book, The Happiness Trap, which I can recommend extraordinarily highly. Happiness Trap has sold more than 1 million copies. It's been published in 30 languages. That book has done that well because it is very, very good. I wrote a lot about Dr. Russ in my own book. His work has helped me so very much. Russ Harris is a doctor, yes, and early in his career, he was working. He was unhappy unable to cheer himself up. And doing so, he read books from the guys who made Monty Python. And he found one written by John Cleese that John Cleese had written with his psychiatrist. And that book set Russ Harris off on a new path. Yeah, well, it set off a a, a voracious reading of self-help books, which I had always kind of poo-pooed and ridiculed, uh, I'm embarrassed to admit. (laughs) And I started to get very interested in therapy. And as I started exploring my own journey and seeing a therapist myself, my practice as a as a doctor started to change. I started my consultations with my patients started to get a lot longer, and I was spending a lot more time looking at their emotions and their stress in their lives. And I started to progressively lose interest in the physical aspects of medicine. And uh, the first model of therapy I trained in was traditional CBT, um, cognitive behavioral therapy. And I found that I had a a passion for therapy. And that was kind of much more meaningful to me than general practice, which was a kind of shock because in my family, you know, I'm the youngest of six. I've got three brothers who are doctors and a sister who's a dentist. And when I was born, you know, they said, oh, it's a medical student, you know. And 
and uh, uh, my my brothers love medicine with a passion, but for me, it didn't just kind of it didn't feed me. But when I started to find therapy and looking at people's emotions and their minds, well, I found something that I was passionate about. So, after a lot of pain, I got there. Cognitive behavioral therapy is often the first port of call for many people because it is fairly simple to explain in just a GP consultation and uh, your GP can talk you through it. You know, a psychologist would probably be a better option as someone who's focused on that sort of thing. And it certainly was my first you know, venture into, okay, this is something that's starting to shift the needle a bit. This is something that's starting to work. I'm grasping the concept of challenging thoughts. And that's a really, really, really big one. That's about, if you only learn one thing from this whole podcast, could I get you to talk, Russ, just a little bit about this idea of challenging the automatic thoughts that, that pop into our heads about a certain situation? Yeah, well, so traditional CBT, there's big emphasis on identifying your negative thoughts and looking for evidence to dispute them and disprove them and replace them with more positive thoughts. And that certainly does work some of the time for some people. But when we're in really stressful, difficult situations, like, you know, for example, if you're going through a grieving process, there's going to be all sorts of painful emotions there and all sorts of painful thoughts that are completely true that you can't kind of dispute or challenge or push away. And I was looking for other ways of dealing with that. How do you deal with emotions that are normal and natural and you can't change? And how do you deal with recurrent negative thoughts that are totally appropriate or realistic or just deeply entrenched patterns of thinking that you can't just simply switch off and stop? And so as I started to explore with that, you know, go down that path, that's when I then discovered acceptance and commitment therapy, which sort of stands on the shoulders of traditional CBT, if you like, but takes it in a new direction. And where did acceptance commitment therapy come from in, in, in a time frame? Was it around the same time that CBT showed up? No, it was about so CBT started in the early 70s, whereas acceptance and commitment therapy, better known as ACT, came around in the mid 80s. And uh, Stephen Hayes, the guy who created it, you know, was intrigued. By then, it was well recognized that many people, no matter how much you challenge your negative thoughts and your negative core beliefs, they don't disappear. They keep coming back again and again and again. And what was kind of was there in traditional CBT, but very much in the background and often forgotten about or skimped over was this kind of acceptance piece. You know, lots of painful emotions are completely normal and natural. If we're going to live a full human life, we're going to feel the full range of human emotions, not just the, the ones that feel pleasant. So how do we learn to open up and make room for the pain and discomfort of living? And so there was a lot more emphasis on that. Steve Hayes, Kelly Wilson is another one. They were, you know, they were children of the 60s. So they'd have been exposed to, you know, flower power and those Eastern ideas. But they were also hardcore behavioral scientists. And they wanted to look at the kind of science of this stuff. What's the hardcore of acceptance and mindfulness and self-compassion and living in the present moment? And so I think that's one of the reasons why acceptance and commitment therapy has been so popular because it kind of gives us these ancient Eastern practices, but with a solid science underpinning them in a way that's accessible for every man and his dog or every woman and her cat. You know, it's kind of... I have a man and I have had cats. Uh, just <laughs> my, my wife was someone who was also had dogs. So we're just going to cover all bases there, right? <laughs> you just mentioned something there that did kind of lead me 
to want to ask you this. If suffering is a part of life, as Susan David, who has been on this show, uh, has said, wonderfully, uncomfortable feelings are the price of admission to a meaningful life. Mm -hmm. If this is the case, where along the way did we come up with this idea that life should be without pain and life should be without suffering? Well, it's a quite a recent idea. A hundred years ago, happiness was largely conceived of as doing good. It was living by your values, living virtuously, doing good things in the world. That was the, the construct for happiness. And the word happiness comes from the same ancient root as the word happening and happenstance. It was kind of fortuitous if some good feelings happened to come out of what you were doing. But in the last century, the meaning of happiness has kind of shifted from doing good to feeling good. It's all about feeling good, feeling positive, don't worry, be happy. And unfortunately, with the growth of pop psychology since the 70s, that message has just been, uh, I mean, people like that message because we all like to feel good. No one likes feeling bad. And, you know, the idea that there's just a simple way to achieve this state of happiness by thinking positively is very appealing. I mean, it sells well. You know, <laughs> what we're talking about here, opening up, embracing the inevitable pain and discomfort of life, you know, that's not a good sales pitch. And I think uh, it also goes hand in hand with capitalism and advertising and materialism. How so? Well, all of these uh, kind of movements are, are, are selling the idea, you know, that there's a, a quick fix. If you get things, if you achieve things, if you have things, if you buy our products or you earn this money or you increase your capital, life's going to be good. So it encourages you to focus on getting external things and achieving things and having things as a pathway to happiness. It kind of seems like the ancient ideas of happiness do seem to be in line with recent research. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's like, so I, I mean, ACT is a very modern model of therapy, but the, these concepts have been around for thousands of years. And the Greek philosophers and the Buddhists and the Hindus and the Christians and the Jews, and, you know, it, it's uh, these concepts are in, in all the world's great religions and philosophies in one form or another. But ACT is quite different. Uh, ACT, I think I said, is the short abbreviation for acceptance and commitment therapy. ACT takes a very kind of scientific stance to all of this. And uh, a big emphasis in ACT is clarifying your values, uh, your heart's deepest desires for how you want to behave as a human being, how you want to treat yourself and others and the world around you, and then using those values as a compass to guide what you do. And, you know, it's interesting as we start living by our values, using our values as, as a compass to guide us, our actions, both great and small, start to become more meaningful, more purposeful, more fulfilling. And so there's a kind of sense of fulfillment that comes from within rather than from without. I'd be fascinated to know the science behind this. What, what is the reason that when we avoid uncomfortable feelings or an uncomfortable situation or uncomfortable trigger, what is the science behind it that when we come and we're faced with it again, it's now worse? It doesn't get any better. There's a, there's a few bits and pieces to this. So, so firstly, you know, the, the things that make life richful and meaningful do not just come with good feelings. Everything that's meaningful in life comes with the full range of emotions, you know, uh, finding a partner, raising a family, building a career, something as fundamental as just looking after your physical health. It's going to come with discomfort. 
And so if our philosophy on life is I must avoid discomfort, uncomfortable thoughts and feelings are bad, and, and the way for me to have a good life is to reduce or avoid difficult thoughts and feelings, then that leads me to start cutting out very important areas of life. I start opting out of the challenging, difficult stuff in life that brings up discomfort. And so my life kind of gets smaller and smaller and I have missed opportunities and usually then takes you into a pretty dark place. Uh, what we see is across the whole range of mental health disorders, from depression to anxiety to trauma to addiction, is we see people's lives getting smaller and smaller and smaller as they're trying harder and harder to avoid discomfort. So that's one piece. The other piece is this concept called exposure. Have you spoken about this I have, uh, but not on this particular episode. This might be the first time someone's ever listened to this show. So <laughs> I've talked okay. a lot about exposure uh, and uh, I, I went into great detail about the stuff I did through me getting better, but uh -huh. it might be the first time anyone's ever heard the word and it's probably better that it comes from you than me. Got you. Well, exposure is the single most powerful process in the whole of psychology in terms of changing human behavior. There's nothing else that even comes close to it. And Exposure means really putting yourself in touch with the difficult, scary, or painful stuff that normally triggers narrow, ineffective behavioral responses, the sort of stuff that makes you get rigid, closed down, shut down, or act in ineffective ways. And it's kind of organizing contact with that stuff and learning more flexible ways of responding to it. So sometimes it's exposure to your inner world of thoughts, feelings, emotions, memories, and you get in touch with that stuff and you learn how to respond more flexibly and more life-enhancing or effective ways. And sometimes it's putting yourself in, in touch with stuff outside you that's difficult, people, places, situations, and activities. And again, learning more flexible ways of responding to that stuff. And the ACT model is an exposure-based model. There's massive amounts of exposure to your inner world and to your outer world and learning more flexible ways of responding. So coming back to your original question, if you're avoiding the difficult thoughts, feelings, emotions, and memories that trigger these narrow, ineffective responses in you, like, for example, excessive drinking or drugs or alcohol or social isolation or suicidality, whatever it is, if you're avoiding those thoughts and feelings, then you're not going to be able to learn more flexible, effective ways of responding to them. And if you want to recover from those kinds of disorders, you really want an approach that puts exposure at the center so you can get in touch with that difficult stuff and respond more effectively. We're back with more of Dr. Russ Harris in a moment. We do have to pay the bills here, though, so you might hear some ads. If you do, thank you. If not, see you on the other side. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, how get 20, 20, how get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is Better Make It Quick, chatting with Dr. Russ Harris today. And in his work, Dr. Russ talks about how important exposure and sitting with discomfort actually is. And I was curious to know why. Well, basically, we lay down new neuronal pathways in the brain. Neuroplasticity is this idea that our brains are plastic and we can rewire them throughout our life. And the neuronal pathways, you know, for the old behaviors, there's no way to just pull those out of the brain. There's no delete button in the brain. We can't get rid of that old pathway in your brain that says, have a beer. Oh, I'm craving a beer. Oh, you know, I'm really stressed. I could do with a drink now. There's no way to remove that from your brain. But what we can do is lay down a new neuronal pathway that inhibits the old one, if you like. And if you really want, if any of your listeners want to geek out on this, this is called inhibitory learning theory. And basically, we lay this new pathway down that gets triggered by the same stimulus. So that craving for beer shows up or the stressful situation that triggers the craving for beer shows up and the old pathway gets fired, but the new one comes in and goes, hang on, I can tolerate this discomfort. I can do something different here. I don't have to drink. I can do something more effective. So basically, exposure is a very powerful way of rewiring your brain. It's very different to positive thinking. (laughs) Yes, which if anyone who's tried, I know that positive thinking, it works for a little bit, but I only gets you so far. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> my, my experience only got me so far. I'm grateful that, I mean, we originally were going to have this conversation a couple of weeks back, but I'm kind of grateful that we're having it now because I'm going to imagine that there's plenty of people who are listening that have, have never gone to a, a therapist, gone to see a shrink that are suddenly finding themselves in this situation that they are totally powerless over. There is a huge amount of anxiety around, particularly if you're if you're renting. And it is such a perfect kind of almost existential, apolitical, depersonalized threat that has nothing to do with any of your past behavior. It's just this microscopic um, nanoparticle that if you happen to come in contact with you could make you very, very sick. If it doesn't make you very, very sick, it could make someone you care about or someone you never met very, very sick and could even kill them. And that's, we don't know how it's going to end. We are in absolute ambiguity for probably the first time in, in history on a global level. And I'm just wondering how might one use, let's just take, for example, I haven't got a job anymore. I don't know what the next six months looks like. And I don't know if my even if my industry will survive by Christmas. What does Christmas look like? I'm, I'm so underwater with so many stresses. How can these techniques, how can we work through some of the automatic thoughts that would come up and perhaps some of the other fears that people might have and how might we be able to use some of these techniques to work through this moment in time for everybody? 
Sure. Yeah, that's a, a great question. Um, no one word answers here. No, um, no, man. Look, honestly, <laughs> if, if we do the next 45 minutes talking about this, I think it'll be really yeah. helpful for because there's a lot of sure. people right now who will need a, really need to hear what you're about to say. And I sure. think you could help you know, an enormous amount of people go buy the book. Uh, you'll find, <laughs> I'll, don't worry, I'll plug the shit out of the book. If I haven't, been pl- I've been plugging enough already. And I, I've actually, in my book, I've got a, a second edition coming out and I've written this whole extra chapter that talks a lot about the techniques that I use that I've gotten from Happiness Trap, including giving the thoughts cartoonish names and picturing them in a cartoonish way or otherwise interrupting that short circuit to physical agony that they would otherwise yes. otherwise cause me. So I'm wondering how, how you might be able to talk to people about this using the techniques that you've, yeah. you, you talk about. Okay. Well, so um, acceptance and commitment therapy gets its name be, because of the central message, accept what is out of your personal control and commit to action that improves your life. So accept what's out of your personal control, commit to action that improves your life. So obviously in this you know, corona crisis, there's a huge amount that's out of your personal control. So your your number one step is to focus on what's in your control. You can't control, you know, what other people do or whether the virus mutates or what happens to the world economy. But you have massive control right now over your arms, your legs, your mouth, the things that you say and do. So let's use those to take action, focusing in what's in our control. You have much, much, much less control over your thoughts and feelings. Anxiety is completely normal and natural and expected when you're in a challenging situation with an uncertain outcome. You know, the the only people who don't have anxiety right now are those who are in complete denial. You know, <laughs> anybody who kind of can see what is happening here is going to have anxiety. It's a normal emotion response. If people, if you've lost your job, you're going to have grief and anger. If people you know that are, are sick or dying, you're, you're going to have huge amounts of fear and sadness. I mean, uh, so there's going to be lots of painful emotions. And there's no kind of simple way to, you know, positive think that away. It's a really painful, difficult situation. And your mind is going to come up with lots and lots of negative thoughts about the difficulties and challenges that you're facing. And again, that's completely normal and natural. So how can we take the power out of that stuff? How can we learn to let these thoughts and feelings kind of flow through us? without getting swept away by them. We can't magically stop them from showing up, but we don't have to let them jerk us around and pull us out of our life. Fighting with them doesn't usually help. So the term acceptance is frequently misunderstood. I often use the term opening up or making room. It's about kind of opening up and making room for these thoughts and feelings and learning how to let them flow through us. And why would we do that? So that we can focus our energy on what is in our control, on taking action, living our values, doing what's meaningful, engaging in our life. I can't overstate how much Dr. Russ Harris's work has helped me in my life. Uh, not only his work, but also the work of like an actual acceptance commitment therapy therapist whom I went and found and the work that I did with her, transformational. It, it saved my life without a doubt. You can scroll through this podcast feed back to episode 334 to hear the full conversation that I had with uh, Russ Harris, which is brilliant. You can read his book. It's called The Happiness Trap. It's sold a million copies for a reason. It's freaking good, dude. When things are presented with kind of cartoons, Bev Aisbet did the cartoons. It's actually a bit easier to, to bear. 
It's actually, it's a very good book and I, I thoroughly recommend it. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks to Bree Steele who produced this episode, Andy Marr on audio and video post-production, Mike Mills, also known as Toe Hider on all the music and Rachel Barrett for the executive production of everything. I'll see you Friday. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.